3: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the inaugural Tales with TR. I'm Terry Ryan and I'll be the host. Um, I guess I should start with a little uh, intro about myself, although I I assume most of you listening, if you've tuned in to this first show, you probably know who I am. Uh, First of all, I have a podcast called Third Man In. I'm not going to stop doing that. We've been doing that since January. I've done that with... Mike Hickey and and Charles Pickett so uh, first off uh, I'm going to do this in addition to that and um, I I guess I should start with who I am so this will be a quick intro I talk a lot and I don't want to take up all the time because I plan on this being an hour an hour and a half Uh, let's just say you know I was um, from Newfoundland uh, Mount Pearl Newfoundland I moved away at a young age 14 Uh, played was playing junior hockey and uh, that was pretty big deal at the time to be 14 and you know, there's stories that go along with that. Um, you know, I had to grow up... I, uh, you know, I got a book called Tales of a First Round Nothing. And, and you know, this will... If, if you really are interested in this story, go buy the book. If not, it's no big deal to me. I'll, I'll make 50 cents if you buy the book. That's how good... To, you know, A book deal is not what you think it is, and nothing against ECW, my publisher at the time. I'm just saying, I'm, you know, if you want the story, buy the book. But uh, short version, yeah, I went to the Western Hockey League. I was third overall into that league, um, and uh, the next year, '94, uh, '95, or two, two, three years later, I became a first-round pick into the NHL, largely because I had a great, uh, great, great teammates, great family, great upbringing, and uh, especially a good line mate in that year, Damon Lankow, who went fifth. My goalie Brian Boucher went uh, 22nd. Three of us from the Tri-City Americans went in the first round in '95, and uh, you know, was, we were off to the races. I went, uh, played three games in Montreal when I was 19. Um, practiced most of the year. Went through some concussion problems, which uh, was the beginning of what ended up being the end. Uh, I don't want to say that in a real negative way. I, I got a few great years in the minors, and in '97, '98, I was actually the rookie of the year in Fredericton, Montreal's firm team, and had good numbers there. And uh, you know, I just uh, that, that's where I ran into some trouble. I had uh, I, I didn't see eye to eye with Michel Therrien who was my coach in Fredericton, and uh, the Canadians guys, the brass that drafted me being Serge Savard, Jacques Demers. Um, you know, I could go on and on. Pierre Mondoux was a scout, uh, Doug Robinson. They all believed in me, and they all got fired. So, uh, you know, I was left in, in Montreal kind of without a role. I don't think they wanted to use me as, as you know, the guys who being Jean Houle, uh, Alain Vigneault, Michel Therrien. I think they liked the fact I could fight a bit, but... Um, I think the guys who drafted me probably had an, had a scoring role in mind for me. Now look, I'm, I'm not tripping over my bottom lip. Why did I fail? I only played eight games. A combination of uh, combination of injuries, of course. I mean in the end I busted my ankle and but, but that was long after I decided not to go back to Montreal camp. I didn't think I was getting a chance. And that was uh, stupid. So I guess it's a combination, you know, people say, you know, you got screwed, Terry. Or, I, I don't believe that, it's all three. I got injured. I don't think the Canadians really dealt with my situation perfectly, but I totally forgive them because I acted uh, irrationally and didn't go back to camp. And after that, uh, you know, I had to, uh, I played the minors and I, I I hurt myself in Dallas camp. And the story goes on, but I appreciate hockey. I love it, I still play senior hockey. I'm involved big time on a lot of levels. I speak about it uh, from time to time. I'm in Ontario next week at Elora, in, in Elora and Bracebridge doing comedy shows. And uh, anyway, you know, I'm pretty reachable too. I mean, if you send me a message on Instagram, although since I was on Spit and Chicklets this summer, it's starting to get uh, hard to answer all of them. But I, I try hard to, to you know, I, I understand that the only reason I had any success or any of us do as hockey players is because of the fans. So try to reach out if you want. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Terry Ryan Twenty. I'm on Instagram at Terry Ryan Twenty Twenty. Uh, so this particular show, Mike. And, and by the way, oh, anyway, I'll get into this. This particular show is me and a microphone. Okay, uh, Mike's here. Mike Hickey is my producer, and he works with me on Third Man In. He's also the producer of Third Man In. But uh, on that show, uh, the three of us: Charles Pickett is the third. Um, you'll get lots of great insight from three people with varying opinions. Okay, so Mike plays hockey but didn't make pro. Charles, well, <laughs> well you know what I'm saying. Um, it, re, re, well, yeah, but, I mean, you know, you play and you know what's going on and you're a fan, and, you know, I represent, you know, the experience of a hockey player. And Chuck is, you know, basically a super fan. He, I don't think he's ever skated in his life, but, he, you know, he knows a lot about it. You don't have to. I guess, you know, my bread and butter would be that I've been in the dressing rooms and seen things. and But, you know, you're not always uh, – You know, every hockey player has different opinions. On this particular show, uh, I'll try to be as objective as possible. Um, For the most part, it's going to be me, like I said, a Mike and a guest, right? So, Mike is going to play a role um, when necessary. He has a good hockey mind. Um, But, you know, in getting only my opinion, uh, being an ex-player, that may sound great on the surface, but... We don't all agree on everything, and, you know, I'm just bringing first-hand experience to the equation. Not every lawyer has the same interpretation of the law. Not every doctor will tell you aspartame is bad for you. Not every plumber uses the same tools. The point being, I don't agree with all players on everything, of course, but I realize that just taking this role on, I kind of speak for them, so I shall do my best. Um, if you want varying views, like I said, tune in to Third Man In, and a lot of the guests are going to be similar anyway um for example our first guest is is one of my best friends and he was i think he was our first guest on the other show as well was he mike um so basically speak when spoken to mike so go fuck yourself uh, <laughs> i kid i kid and now that brings us to cursing that brings us to cursing so i promised dylan and isha uh, founders of the hockey podcast network i wouldn't really curse that's what i did at first And then I thought about it. I said, you know, I'm probably going to curse a little bit. It's part of my personality. Maybe we'll put a beep in. So I haven't figured out. I'm literally recording this. Mike's producing it to a point. They're going to dissect it uh, as far as censorship goes. I don't know where it's going to land. Here's what I think of it. Uh, The thing is, people like cursing around me. Uh, It's part of my personality. Because it's a flaw. I guess, to some people, you see it. I, I just curse in real life, and it actually feels more authentic. Now, many listeners also find it more authentic. Plus, if I warn a guest beforehand not to curse, it might seem a little bit second-rate and unauthentic in today's world, especially after listening to me to talk on Third Man In. We often curse like sailors. Um, so, and I also think... That one of the attributes, one of the things that makes podcasts attractive is the luxury of having the freedom of speech and being uncensored. And people like that. That's why they're more and more popular, I think. One of the reasons, anyway. And one, another is accessibility. But people dig it, and I'm one of them. Now, however, I, I realize, and it goes through my head, that I have kids listening. I know that. I don't know... Again, that's up to your parents, though. You know, if if there's a five-year-old or a six-year-old listening to me curse, you're probably listening to the wrong platform. I mean, go back to Teletubbies or Dora the Explorer or whatever the the fuck it is, there's another beep. But, I mean, I I can't see anybody really younger than 14 or, or 15 or 16 listening, and at that time, I would figure you've heard it all, right? So... You know, there's often, and I've talked about this before. Like, there's, there's, a, 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 within my head, there's a contradiction going on. Like, because sometimes I try not to curse. The other reason is, you know, if broadcasting ever takes me anywhere, I mean, right now I'm, I'm happy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a retail sales manager at Mill Street Brewery here in Newfoundland. I do some public speaking. We got third man in on the go, but I mean, I love talking hockey. And if there, there was ever a platform bigger to apply for. You know, I, I hope employers would know that I don't have to curse. But given that this is an option and this is a podcast, once in a while it's going to happen. Right. So my daughter, Penny Lane's nine. She hears F-bombs all the time. I still play senior hockey. And, you know, again, I always say it should be my last year being 42. Most guys on my team are in their 20s. And that's more of, you know, I, I, I'm not saying, oh look at me. I can play when I'm 40s. You know, a lot of it is I I don't want to remove myself from the game because I know that that's going to be a hard day. I love being around the boys. And uh, that's the biggest part of it, you know, is is hanging out and having that camaraderie. And Penny Lane's around me a lot and she plays sports. She doesn't play hockey, but, you know, she hears F-bombs all the time. So there's that. So, you know, as I sit here and go, you know, there might be a nine-year-old listening. I mean, she listens here and there. And you know what? I just tell her it's not ladylike, and I ask her not to not not to curse, and she actually listens to me, right? She actually listens. You'd never think it would, you, in today's days, a, a, a bubble wrap and everything else, or metaphorical bubble wrap. Um, but I mean, a lot of parents bubble wrap everything nowadays. I you know I try to parent her right. A lot of people who follow my Instagram see that we hang out, and you know I, I'd like I, I'm from the school of parenting that rather than, you know. Smack her. I mean That's really old school, but uh, You know I I reprimand I you know, I I often raise my voice or whatever it might be I, but I talk with my kid and, and I I Hope that when she gets older she can right now she's a friend, you know like as odd as that may seem uh, We hang out a lot and, and I look at her as a friend and she respects me as a parent, but also as a friend and uh, You know, I simply ask her not to curse and I'm not exaggerating. She never does so, I guess it's a judgment call to each person. You turn this, if you tune into this, you might hear some cursing and if you tune into third man ear, you're in you're definitely going to hear some cursing. So, uh, you know, you know that going in. Now, and and by the way, I should point out it's funny because Penny Lane is creative and she has that kind of mind and when we play characters, one of the characters she came up with the other day was Dr. Fuh Q. His last name was Q so she does she does it creatively and she tries to get in other words the doctor's name was Fa, Mr. Dr. Q Dr. fuck you I'm like going Penny Lane Penny Lane but she's that kind of you know and I can't blame her for that because she's uh, that's exactly the way I would think at that age Um, I'm sure one day she'll probably swear like a sailor and that's fine too language is always changing um as long as she can communicate respectively, I don't really care if she uses the word "fuck." S-s-s- kidding, kidding again. There's another beep. Anyway, she'll hear cursing because it's uh, she's surrounded by real people all the time, and I don't mind that. We're blue collar. I'm, I don't know. People see that I played in the NHL. I do some acting. Um, and do some public speaking, and I think they think I make more money than I do. I'm right... Yeah, I'm check to check, man. I'm right in the middle of the road. I'm blue-collar. My buddies like to drink full-on uh, full, full on beer. Uh, Full-body beer. Uh, we hang out. We listen to tunes. You know, I'm, I'm what you would expect from a Newfoundlander that likes to have a little bit of fun, and drop the mitts on the ice. Uh, so, and, and, and I'm pr- proud of that. I'm, I'm just saying that we're surrounded by people that... You know, it might run off at the mouth a little bit here and there. But I'm proud of that. And uh, my stepson Tyson, I should mention, he grew up the same way. And it, Tyson plays junior B in St. Paul now in Alberta, Northern Alberta Junior Hockey League. So I should say, explain this as well for those that don't know, although 90% of you do. Tyson isn't really my son. Tyson I raised. Uh, his father, B.J. Young, was my line mate in junior in Tri-Cities for a little bit and then Red Deer where we absolutely lit it up. And B.J. set a record in Red Deer with 58 goals in '96, uh, '97. Just a fantastic hockey player. And B.J. died in 2005 in a car accident. So, I raised Tyson because B.J. was my roommate, and you know, from 14, 15, 16, and as Tri-City prospects, I was a first-round pick to Tri-City. He was a second, and we were, you know, groomed together. We were we were brought along together, and then we ended up playing together and uh, against each other in the American Hockey League. BJ played one game in Detroit. Uh, could have played a lot more. Uh, he's outscored me in the American League. I got to say that. He had thirty-five one year in Cincinnati, and was just a great player. An American from Anchorage. Uh, we were BJ was from Anchorage, and I was from Newfoundland, and we went to the Western League, so we were we were outsiders, right? Because most people in the Western League are from you know it, most of them are from the Western provinces, and that's the way the zoning goes. I, I technically was supposed to go to the Quebec Major Junior League. But my dad, so put, my dad had played pro and knew all about the WHL, and at the time it was the best league. I don't mind saying that; it's even itself out now. But at the time, you know, in my junior career, for example, Kamloops won three Memorial Cups out of five years. Uh, not, not, not Western Hockey League championships, Memorial Cups. They were unbelievable, and the league was unbelievable. Um, but uh, you know, so all the best to Tyson out there in St. Paul, and. Uh, you know he's come along, and uh, you know we've we've all had ups and downs as a family. It's kind of an un- un- unorthodox is that the word, uh, but you know it's it's a modern family I guess. But uh, he's happy. He's out in Red Deer. Penny Lane's doing great here. Danielle is has her own company called Penny Posh. Check that out online. I don't have the time to get into it, but it's maternity wear. Well, it started as that. It's women's clothing, and it's really cool. And uh, she also works at Merchant Tavern here in town. So that's a little bit about me again if you want to know more by the book tales of a first round nothing um, so i'll try to curse getting back to that only slightly and guide the conversation in a non-cursing direction but if a guy or, or girl if a guy or girl <laughs> lets one go you know just it, it's probably going to happen right i'll leave it up to the brass Fair warning, it's going to happen and you guys can edit it out and uh, I kind of expect you to because I think this might be a cleaner show than Third Man In, but I guess that's yet to be determined and like I said, you might hear the odd beep. Uh, some episodes, like when I have Ryan a- or Ryan Skinny Anderson on, who's was a recent guest on Third Man In, check that out, or Aaron Asham and check that one out for sure on Third Man In because uh, that was one of the most epic interviews I've ever been a part of. You know, there's gonna be F-bombs aplenty, so consider yourself warned. And like Grapes used to say, uh, those who don't like the rough stuff, tune out now. <laughs> and uh, I guess this, this'll be a good time to bring up Don Cherry and Grapes, which I didn't want to do today, but he's my friend and I don't feel like I'm, yeah, I don't, I, I, I've spoken out on social media. It took me a few days. Uh, and you can speak all day, so you know, I'm just going to tell you a story. Um, I've, I've t- I told, I think, on CBC the other day, um, because I'm, I'm shaken by this. I'm, I'm forgetting what I'm saying about it, because I'm really shaken. Ron McLean is one of my best friends, and Don Cherry's, uh, you know, obviously his... People are really giving Ron shit today after Hockey Night in Canada last night, and I'm telling you that's unwarranted, and I'm going to get into that in a minute. But I'm going to tell you a story. So, in 97, 98, I was called up. Uh, from Fredericton and that was the year I was rookie of the year down there and I really I had Michelle Terry and I was having a hard time In junior, I was known, you know, I dropped the mitts I had balls, but all of a sudden I was you know, and I was being sent out I'm not complaining about it every time I knew I knew I had to fight especially on Fredericton didn't have many tough guys at first we ended up being stacked but I dropped my gloves and in the AHL it went from fighting guys in junior that were middleweights like Andrew Ference. that I, nothing against Andrew, I posted that today on my Instagram, Terry Ryan 2020. I went from that to fighting guys like Frank Bialowis, uh, Ty Domi, Cam Russell, oh God, I, I, you know, Francis Lissard. I'll go down, check it out on dropthegloves.com. I fought them all. But uh, that year was crazy. In I led the American League, or close to. I remember getting those sheets that, that were mine at the end of the year. I, I don't know if they still do it even, but you'd come into your stall before the game, and there'd be, like, a game pack like, with the leaders, with the stats and everything, would come around to each player. And I remember, like, with two games left, I was tied. I can't remember who with Mark Major or Steve McLaren, or someone like that. But it was way out of my league. But I had 34 fights my first year. And my, the year before that, I missed almost the entire year, 96-97, with a concussion. So as a first-round pick with a concussion that missed almost all of 96-97, outside of those games, I went back to Red Deer and didn't get in one fight. Set the three-round playoff goal record with 18, though. Nah, nah, not a big deal, the quote is, But... Uh, you know what, I wasn't in Red Deer to fight. But but the thing is, yeah, so I had 34 coming off a concussion as a first-round pick. I still find that bizarre. No one said anything. I'm not blaming them either. I mean, most of those I was totally willing to get into. But a couple of times, Michelle Therrien being the only coach to this day that's ever done it to me, and he did it multiple times, is just kind of sit me out for a few shifts and then tap me and tell me to go get somebody. I found that disrespectful, to say the least, especially from a guy that couldn't lick his lips. That's what I hear about Michelle Therrien. Uh, but, you know, it's water under the bridge now. I'm sure he grew as a person. I hope he did. I mean, he ended up coaching in the NHL. Um, but anyway, so it was 97, 98. It was end of that year. It was uh, getting back to the grape story. And I was called up, and I had I, I said the night before, but it, it was either a night or two previous. I was playing against Philadelphia in the AHL, and my buddies were in town. And I'm not kidding you. I, I got in three fights, and this is how crazy it was at the time. You know, I I didn't really pick any of them, but there there was so many chances in a game to get in a fight that if my buddies came, I really didn't care about taking a smack in the face. So I'd fight. So Robbie Squires and uh, Gary Clark, two of my best buddies from Newfoundland, they flew up to (laughs) to see me and Freddie. I believe this was that time. I mean, I could be slightly off by a few days, but the boys, I know, um, I've talked to them actually and they've confirmed the story. Uh, you, You get mixed up years later. But you can see the welts on my face in the interview. Anyway, I'd gotten in a few fights, either the night or two previous, against Philly for the boys in Freddie. So, uh, being Fredericton, we called it Freddie Beach. But anyway, I go up, and uh, it's the last game of the regular season against Buffalo, so I played a lot. And it was the only game that I think, I can't say the only game I played a lot, but definitely a lot. I mean, it's, it's one of the only games I played regular. Some of those games, I, you know, I, there's multiple games I didn't get one shift I sat on the bench, and you don't even get credit for a game played. Again, I'm not complaining. I was young, and it was front row seats to a National Hockey League game. I'm just telling you the way it was. So, in this particular game against Buffalo, didn't mean anything in the standings. Neither team could go up or down. So, I mean, Alan Vigneault um, being what he what he what he should have done. You know, it was he did exactly that. He he didn't play Mark Recchi, Vincent Damphousse, Martin Rusinski, Brian Savage quite as much as I mean, he played them. But every second shift, you know, he'd put me out there and, and you know, because I guess he didn't want them to get hurt. He didn't want guys to, you know, I don't want to say over try, but you certainly don't want an injury. That's the, out of those games, you don't want bad habits and you don't want injuries. And you can also give the give the prospects a chance, so credit to them. I was complaining all year, you know, give me a chance, give me a chance, give me a chance. They finally gave me a chance. So they put me out there with Recchi and Savage for a few shifts. I hit the post on a breakaway on Hassick. I wish I had that highlight. Man, if anybody got that game out there, because the highlights pop up on the internet and on YouTube. Sometimes they're coming from me, but not all the time. When my book came out, um, I think the company had someone do research and put out all these. That's why I got so many fights and everything on, on YouTube. Someone did it for me. But I did hit the post on a breakaway on Hasik. I hope the hell I can find that because it ends up Hasik ended up being who he is. It's a legendary goalie, so... <clears throat> Uh, it was a thrill just to have a breakaway on him. But anyway, and I got in two fights. I fought Matthew Barnaby and Dave uh, Bobby the Boogeyman Bugner. So there was a lot of adrenaline going on. And the game was like one nothing or 2-1. It was a low-scoring game. So they gave me third star, at least Hockey Night Canada did. I don't know about the French Channel or whatever. And, and Don Cherry and Ron McLean had a big part to, in, to play in that. And Ron came right in the room. I didn't know Ron like I know now. He's one of my best friends. But at the time, like I said, I'd played Junior in Red Deer and Ron is from Red Deer. So, whenever I'd come across him, he'd shake my hand and he knew who I was. So, Ron called me in for that in kind of Canada interview. I was so nervous. And you can see it, I posted it uh, on Instagram just, just last week. So, anyway. We had, we had an interview, I was so nervous, but I finally felt I made it, you know, and right after, right after Don, with, Grapes was sitting behind the camera, so we didn't have much time to work with, like a regular hockey and in Canada interview. I, I really felt like they, they were doing it just because I was there, and they wanted to give me a chance, and they loved the fact I was from Newfoundland, and moved out west, and played hard, and all that, because I remember Don having to get out of his chair, and, I, and you, normally that would be all set up, you know, but it wasn't the intermission, this was after the game, so anyway, I did the interview, I got swept up, Don was right behind the camera looking at Ron and I, and if you look at the, thing I posted, you can kind of see that, and uh, anyway, Grapes calls me over after the interview, man, he shook my hand, and he said, you know, you're a, you're a humorous guy, tell that, and he said, you know, that's good in a dressing room, and I heard you play music and all that, I mean, he, he knew people from Junior, I mean, I wasn't running the tunes in the NHL when I was a rookie, of course, but Mark Reckey, uh, who did it most of the time, uh, Patrice Brisebois, uh, they would let me run the tunes once in a while, especially if it was the Black Aces or the young guys. I, I ran all the tunes for the young guys. Anybody close to my age, if we were stuck at the rink, it was my job. I was kind of being past the torch. So, and you know, even you look at the games played, but we had a lot of, like Black Aces are the fifth line. Like I was up there a lot for that, right? And guys like myself and Aaron Ascham, Um, Brad Brown, Matt Higgins. We would get called up all the time and not play. So, like, our memory of being in Montreal, like, for me, it feels like I played way more than you're looking at that stat. Right? In the summers, we would go there, you know, and train with the Habs the whole summer. So, I really do feel like an ex-Hab. I mean, I am, but I feel that the eight games is almost misrepresenting because I really got to make relationships. It wasn't just eight days that I was up there. You know, I met people like Scott Thornton, who I still talk to, big influence. Um, you know, God, I can go on and on. Darcy Tucker is one of my great hockey friends now, uh, was my roommate at the time. Um, but anyway, so Grape says, you know, and you're, you're a real unifier and you're a leader. And he said, and I, I swear to you, he said, there's a lot of minorities in the league now more than there ever has been. And people more and more people are coming from Europe that can't even speak English, some of them. they he said, it's up to you. To bring those guys together, and guys like you. Um, and he said it endearingly, He, he and, and I know what his comments sounded like. And, you know, I'm not even, he didn't defend them, and I'm not here to defend uh, Grapes' comments, I'm not. I just want to say that, you know, let's have a healthy conversation. He was great to me, right? A few years later when I had to retire, I came back here and I started a, a program for our youth, dev- youth development program for kids from, in, uh, kids from Labrador, Innu kids everybody knows the story. Maybe you don't look it up online Davis Inlet had to move to Natwishish. There was a lot of kids in his sniffing gas and violence and it's a high suicide rate and all that. So we started a youth development program. When I, when I retired, I didn't know what to do with my time, but I knew that at least I had a bit of pull in the, in the, not only in the hockey world, I guess, in the, in, in the world, because I played for the Montreal Canadiens. So I, I got on that immediately and used that status to my advantage. And, uh, we went to Indian Northern Affairs, we went to the provincial government, we went to Health Canada and we raised about $250,000 and we took those kids along for a year and uh, no one had graduated high school at the time in 10 years in that community. And three of the boys in our program uh, ended up uh, just just the next year and, and uh, went finished high school and then a couple of them went on to college, so we were very proud of that. But Grapes helped us with that. You know, he came, I got a picture on there, I wish I had the boys in the picture, but the picture I posted on Instagram, and Facebook, uh, you know, he came, he, he was in town to promote one of his restaurants, but he came to an event that I had and he brought some stuff to be auctioned off for the Inu kids. So again, I don't know if he just looks at color and stuff, folks. I don't think it's, but he's he's old school. He's 85. He's been in a box. He hasn't been checked for all this time. And uh, again, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't know. What he said, I, I wouldn't say. I understand how he singled out certain groups of people and I don't want to promote that and i don't want to be that person i'm just telling you there's a human side to don cherry and he's done a lot of good and ron McLean, i mean are you kidding me this guy has articulated his thoughts we've gone along for rides with him we've watched stanley cups we've watched olympics he's 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 pumped the tires of every canadian that have been any successful on any level from bands watch the tragically hip when gord died the intro um time in and time out, Ron McLean has been there for Canada. Oh my God, he's synonymous with champions and winning and uh, and competing and just being an athlete and everything that that entails and all the attributes it makes to do, do, takes to be a teammate and, and proud Canadian. And he's been there for us. So please save your nonsense, bullshit, Twitter. You know, it's a situation. It's awkward. He went on there last night and he bared his soul. Last night being Saturday, the first Saturday there was no hockey net in Canada. He's getting shit today, and it almost brings tears to my eyes because it's bullshit. He's been there for us. One mistake now, Cherry's gone, and now you're going to say that Ron McClain, because what he didn't pick up for Don. Now let's be honest here, he did in a lot of lot of times. And if he gives up, I believe it, he could fall on his sword. But if he does, and the show's over, then everybody else wins. Ron, I want Ron to keep up the tradition. I want him to keep going, and. He's, he's been there for us and the thing about Ron is that Ron cares and he didn't have to go on there last night and do that by himself and he did and people are giving him shit and I don't think it's warranted and think of everything that Ron McLean embodies and if you have a problem with Ron McLean as a Canadian then we should all look in the mirror and check ourselves because we're getting way way away from the point here we're missing the ball or the puck or whatever you want to say I mean these people have been there for us as Canadians Don Cherry I mean, come on. My family's are... I've got multiple war veterans in my family. We all love what he says every week. I love the way he he goes about hockey. I know it seems old school now. I didn't like to wear a visor. I understand why people don't. You know, he's always been at that. Oh, you know, the French guys. I think we might even call them frogs at one point. People even call me a noof at one point. Whatever it might be. But I mean, you know, I didn't think it was only French guys that wore visors. I mean, we all laughed at it. It was just grapes being animated. Right? But I see grapes outside of that, um, uh, you know, and, and everybody else sees him for two minutes a week on TV. You see this big personality. The camera goes off and he's, an, he's a sweet man, okay? And Ron McClain's one of the best friends you could ever have. And he comes to town. He meets my friends for one weekend. He remembers their names the rest of his life. So lay off. People can sit there in their glass houses and throw stones at Ron McClain. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Anyway, that's the intro. We're gonna get to my guest right now, and uh, maybe then uh, talk a little bit at the end. This is this is episode one, and um, you know it's it's gonna either I, I shouldn't say it'll improve. I hope this is great, but it's gonna evolve. You know, anyway. Uh, at the end of this episode, I guess you give us some feedback. For, but for right now, we're gonna take a break. Normally, as your show picks up, this will be time for a sponsor to pipe up. <laughs> but anyway, here comes Ken Reed in a moment.
1: This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, I am absolutely enthralled to welcome to the first Tales with TR, the former Pictou County Pitbull. Multi-time best-selling author, an animated anchor with Sportsnet Central. He is a fearless friend, a master sportscaster, a super-duper hockey curd trooper. He cleared the track with Eddie Schack. He carries a stick and is Ivanka's sidekick. Kidding, kidding, kidding. He's sharp as a tack next to Ivanka Osmak. He's a bodacious broadcaster. He's a sports writer, hockey fighter. At least he likes hockey fighters. He's got good looks, and he writes books. He's a big show from Picto, a middle-aged man (laughs) and a hockey helmet fan. Last week, he got off his sofa and he bought a classic Jofa. He collects lids and has a good wife and kids. Even Howie Meeker thinks he's an awesome public speaker. Is it an MC you need? Call Kenny Reed, ladies and gentlemen, the hockey card hero himself, Ken, the Killer Reed.
1: Ken, welcome to the show. Tr, buddy, I would travel miles to hear that. Tr, listen. One of the things I love about you, and I'm yes, I'm kissing your butt. Of course I am. You spread joy for a living. You make people smile, and people should surround themselves with people who make them smile. So you made me smile. So thanks for that intro, buddy.
3: Thank you, Ken. And you know what? As I was um I was reminded of that I shame, shamefully forgot about. You said that about four or five years ago when you had me on my on your show. Or, you had me on Sportsnet, and yeah. uh, I I, don't, I forget the, the the premise of the whole show. You were just kind of flicking questions at me while I was standing up. Well, you you put an article to go with that. And, oh, that uh,
1: was about when you're on your book tour, I think.
3: It was. It was around that time. When you were in studio. And so yeah, when no, I was.
1: You can if you can yeah if you can make people smile that's a great thing to do. Well, yeah,
3: it is. And you know I think sometimes and really I appreciate you saying that. And that's why I think you you know you, you attract that kind of company. You're like that. We go and when we go on those. Hockey alumni tours, you know, there's a, yeah. a lot of the boys that, you know, you, you just end up hanging with people that are that kind of person. Uh, you know, let, yep. let's, just, let's just say, I don't know, Doug Gilmore or Shane Corson or whoever comes down and we do, you know, that's kind of why you end up being drawn to these people, especially in today's climate. I don't want to get in and dissect everything. I'm going to talk about that after. But the, the, mm-hmm. the, the climate that we've been dealing with lately, it, it, well, in, in all walks of life, but in, in hockey recently, you know, has been so polarizing. And I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. Within all this, there's, there's some great fun and great stories. And even even with, you know, you take the worst thing that's happened to you, and, and in my case, I guess people on the outside that wouldn't know me, my by, by friend, not the worst thing, that I, you know, as, as a person that I know happened to me. But they would say, you know, he, he was drafted so high and he didn't play that much. It's still a laugh doing it, though. Like, you know, I, I still played in Montreal. I still met people like you. You know, I still had fun.
1: I've told you this, Terry. Like, when I was a kid, I used to have this recurring dream that I would end up playing in a handful of Montreal Canadiens games. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And here I I am years later, and I'm great friends with a buddy who played in a handful of games with the Montreal Canadiens. And listen, it's half full or it's half empty. I think what you did is absolutely incredible. I think if a guy stepped on the ice for a sec in the NHL, it's absolutely incredible. I was at my oldest son's minor hockey today. There's 60 kids out there. If one of them, one of them steps on the ice for one game, He's defied all the odds. That's true. So, listen, there's there's so much more to a guy than what the number's on the back of his hockey card, and it's the journey that went into it all. And, man, your story is is amazing, and I can sit around and talk to your dad and you all day, and you're right about surrounding yourselves with people who just make you happy. It's like, what do the flu and smiles have in common? They're both contagious. Stay away from the flu. Stay around smiles. There you go.
3: You're right, and you know it is about the journey. And I tell you, it's how you see a place, too. And that's what you know, a lot of people let's just say toronto i I don't know why anybody would say anything bad but like in my mind when i go to toronto i get to see like you and dave bedini and dave roper the manager for the leaps good friend of mine and a lot of people you know from newfoundland use it as a hub like we'll all get together and we'll go up and watch like a leaps game or something so for me toronto is one of the best places on the planet because every time i'm there I'm surrounded with joy. I mean, how much fun is it having yeah. in the summertime doing those alumni golf tournaments with the NHLers? Oh my goodness, oh,
1: it's just—it's it's a blast. We just did Eric Lindros' <laughs> tournament the other night. Name drop one. Um, oh, nice. it's, it's just a blast because, I—I I, I mean, I—you're asking me to come golf with guys whose hockey cards I used to collect, and it's—it's it's wicked to get to know the guys away from, uh, away from the ice. And I mean, there's a lot of guys who I used to interview that, you know, would give you the standard pucks and deep, and then you learn a little bit more of them away from the ice. So it's it's a total blast. And, I mean, people come out, they play in the alumni golf tournaments, the alumni hockey tournaments, and the boys give them a lot of great stories. And seriously, the reason we, I think, the reason we still love sports as adults is we're trying to recapture a little bit of our lost youth, at least a lot of us are. 100%. And I think the reason that... I mean, we, we still love the game. Is you know that connection from when you're a kid, and I always had NHL caliber passion, just no no skills. I mean, midget C skills, baby. Solid second liner, midget C. So most uh, most sportsmen are like finally your midget C. How do you like them apples? I want to get into that so, later
3: because we don't talk about it much. Finish yeah. your thought, and that's exactly where we're going.
1: Okay, but okay, no, but just I, the, for me, my connection <laughs> to the game is. Uh, listen, I've been accused of being immature, and when people call me immature, I take great pride in that. If you're old, you don't have to grow up. Me too. And have fun. Everybody everybody needs to... L- oh, listen to this, TR. So I'm walking around the Sports Card Expo the other day in Toronto, you know, because I'm looking for old treasures and stuff. Yeah. Road Hockey Master, try Red, Wings, Red Wings Motor Hockey Master, 20 bucks. I love that. And I heard the best lyric, and I thought it really applies to modern-day society, and it was written in probably 1995. It was Cheryl Crow, and she said, I want to soak up the sun, tell everyone to lighten up. And I thought, that is awesome. That's appropriate. You know? I might
3: tweet that out. I might tweet yeah, that out later just, today. Yeah. Just, yeah, it, relax.
1: T- put, push the recliner back a little, everybody, and just take her down a notch. Like, what's life
3: for? Like, if you look in the end, I mean, what, what was the... the stories. Um, you know, what, what's, what's, it, what's it for? You know, you want... You want to live. You want to be happy. Isn't it the pursuit of happiness?
1: So I would think. I, I definitely don't know the meaning of life, but I want to have fun while I try to figure it out. Yeah, I guess.
3: we well, you know what? Yeah, I'm asking you. Isn't it? I mean, who knows what it is? But you want yeah. to have fun figuring it out. That's a great way to put it. Now, I, we, as I said, you were one of the best guests on Third Man In, and we got a lot to go by there. So, and I know that everybody listening to this show didn't necessarily listen to that one, but. There was a few places that we didn't go that I didn't get to because you're such a great guest and talker. But hey, I want to get there now. So, yes, tell me about – and so for those who still don't know who Ken Reed is, Ken's a huge hockey card collector. He's got books about – He just bought a – like a collector um, loves the tradition, the heritage of, of not only hockey but all sports or even music he comes across. Ken is a collector kind of thing and really appreciates – that was no joke, you know. saying you know you, you're almost like I am in a way of Peter Panish – in that, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like I, I still look at watching a baseball game. Like I could be seven years old or, or a hockey game right, right, and I love the right. vintage stuff. Cause it's nostalgic. So what connected those dots? And you also have a brother that's a stand-up comedian. So I'm looking yeah, at it. I, I would say having a brother gives you a little bit of tough skin. And then, you know, you guys are both funny. Maybe you're bouncing that you're really into hockey and Picto Nova Scotia, you know, pretty big. Mm-hmm. Hockey. I'm gonna say hockey hotbed like Toronto, but as far as parts of the world it per capita, yeah, yeah, it's a small place that pr- produces a lot of hockey players and uh, hockey attitudes. How did it all come together? Was it when you say you just say you played midget C? So at that point, did you realize okay, I'm not gonna make it to junior, and I, I'm, I'm did you start going right into I'm I'm gonna be a broadcaster and collector?
1: Oh God. When I was eight years old, I knew I wasn't going to make the NHL because I didn't make the Novice One team. And I remember it was this big moment. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to make Novice One. Dad, what am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. Dad, Dad, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm not going to play in the NHL because until I was eight, I was convinced I was going to play in the NHL. That was was my job. So I didn't make the Novice One team. And I remember going home, and uh, there was a game on TV. And Dad said, well, the broadcasters who do the games, they get in for free. They get to go to all the games. Boom. That was it.
3: That was it.
1: From that moment on, I'm determined to be part of the broadcasting world or whatnot, which was great for me because I never had to question what I wanted to do when I would get older. But was horrible for my father because he was a local doc in town, and I knew, well, I don't give a rat's behind about science or biology because I don't need it, right? I don't care about math. All I need to do is goals and assists. So my. my schooling went to hell. And it drove Dad nuts. I was this mystery. How come Dr. Reed's kids got marks in the 50s? I got just enough. I was good enough to, get, I, knew, I knew what I did, you know.
3: You got to did enough to get
1: by. I, right. Let's let's put it into the words of a great Dutch Mason song, the Prime Minister of the Blues. Everybody hustles for a nickel or a dime. I just do what I do and I try to get by. So I knew what I had Beautiful. to do. I knew, I knew what I had to do to get a 70. So I did it, and I always wanted to be a broadcaster, went to school, pursued it. Uh, started at Channel 10 in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and just paid my dues, as they say. And uh, You know, while, while you were in Freddie Beach, I was slugging her out at Channel 10. So there, there you go, buddy.
3: Hey, man. It's uh, just, yeah, that's a great parallel, to be honest. You know, you're working your way yeah. up. And so... But,
1: Money was a little bit better in the American League, where, though, than Channel 10. Did...
3: <laughs> yeah. It, you know what? It really was. For a first-round pick, too, I was making U.S. cake. So I, the, the, oh, the, man. the max was... Sixty-seven-five U.S. So me and yeah. I remember me and Brad Brown, a few more, were on the max deal So we were getting about a hundred in Freddie. And I still say it's one of the. We didn't sell out the Aiken Center all the time. Um, there was, you know, it was um, there was two colleges in town, UNB, yep. Saint Thomas. So there was a, but I like that because it, it was a great, what's the word, dichotomy. If we 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 were really to yep. get called up. You know, there'd be all this pressure, and, you know, it's good. You're in the Montreal Canadiens now. It's not too bad going out for a beer after the game as a hab, whether you played one shift or 20. But, sure. but, you know, you go down to Freddie, and it felt like um, it felt like the boys. You know, you're like you're hanging out. I, with, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's no pressure. Yeah. You're hanging out. You had some friends in town. Going to the university bars, you know. You were getting to grow up a little bit. In Montreal, it was like you've got to be grown up now. You know?
1: That that's that always amazes me too. He's nineteen years old. He's got to be a professional. Wow. That's, yeah. That's a lot of pressure on a kid, especially in a place like well, Montreal. Especially
3: in Montreal years. where, you know, there's pretty girls in junior, but in Montreal threes yeah. dress like nines. Uh there's yeah. you know, we we'll, we'll, Trooper, we'll, baby, Trooper. Yeah. Is exactly. that Trooper? Yeah, that's that trooper, is trooper. Three dressed up as a nine. Um, yeah. and you know there's you know, you're still drinking maybe, but in junior you're having beers and all of a sudden the boys are going out for scotch and you don't even know what that is, but you've heard from a Clark no. Gable movie that you got to order it on the rocks. So, you know, sure. get your scotch on the rocks. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're in junior you might be, I don't know, having a chew on the bus, uh, but now you don't have to, you know, because, you know, the bus can be 30 hours long. But now all of a sudden, yeah. you know, it's a cigar with that scotch in a cigar room Jeez. in Chicago at the O'Hare or, you know, whatever it might be. So... Yeah, I loved Freddie Beach for that reason. Um, yeah, but now to get back in, kid. what I want to know, Ken, is what now? When did, because you're a pretty accomplished author now? How many books have you put I, out? Five, six,
1: so seven. This says I'm at I'm at five right now. I just released my newest book. And it's Eddie Shack Hockey's Most Entertaining Stories. So, I, I I always laugh when people call me an author because I equate author to somebody who's intelligent has a good way with words. Um, I <laughs> I'm just a dude who writes books and. People tell me I, I write the way I speak, which I consider a compliment. I love it. So I always I always people say, you know, how, how do you how do you get all those words? I'm like, well, I can't shut up, so I guess I just write them down, and they all add up. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a journey. I I dreamed of writing a hockey book when I was younger. My brother and I always debated that because we
3: devoured okay. them as kids. That's no, that's where I was going. I was going to yeah. say, like, did did you fall up on this when you were, like, 30? Did you say, okay, light bulb here, I got all these experiences, yeah. I got access to these people, or was it an early... Like, for me, for example, I yeah, I was into creative writing. Uh, if I'd said it around here at that time, I probably would have got a punch in the face that I wrote poems and stuff. Sure, but, sure. So I kept it kind of under wraps, but that that's, you know, my book essentially is just I kept all these journals so I had stories available sure. for me. But I, I always... I'm not going to say like I sat there and consciously said I'm going to be an author, but I knew right. in my head that something might – it was a goal of mine. I looked up, right. like I said, that's why I was so pissed off in Montreal when Red Fisher didn't give me the time of day. Um, yeah. I yeah, that's quite a story. Can, well, can I understand? There's there, – there's – there's, uh, reporters here, Robin Short. You know, a lot of people gave him shit. I mean, he, he raked me over the coals a few times, but a few times I deserved it. I didn't go back to camp. That was a that was a mistake. He's a friend of mine. Uh, you know, sure. Herb Zerkowski. Uh, I don't know. I can go on and on. Uh, Jack Todd, breaking well,
1: raking you over the coals is one thing, and not liking you as a player is one thing, or picking you apart a game is one thing, but refusing to talk to you. Yeah, that's that's, that's that whole, it.
3: That's, and I could look past uh, that's a, all yeah, of that's stuff. another. He wouldn't yeah. speak to me, so I was like devastated because I looked up to him. I'm telling you like Gilles Fleur. I would, I would. I know. I know. You know, so
1: yeah. But yeah, for me, I just, I I remember the first full hockey book I got. It was one that Terry Jones did on Wayne Gretzky in around 1982. So I would have been seven or eight, but you know, every year I'd order hockey superstars from Scholastic and all pro hockey. I have a, I've a, I found a hockey digest a few years ago. It has a letter to the editor in it from me when I'm 13 years old. Grant is on the cover.
3: My God, Um, you should put that in your book.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd always devour hockey books. So, um, yeah, I guess it came about because when I got to Sportsnet, um, you know, working across Canada, I worked in Dartmouth, uh, Calgary, Ottawa, and then Edmonton. And you're hustling doing local sports. Not that you're not hustling at the network level, but the network level, I just worked nights. So then I had more time. Uh, add in the fact I can't afford a golf membership in Toronto, right? So then you got, what are you going to fill your time with? And I kind of had this idea and I bandied about it and Ian Mendez hooked me up with his literary agent and it was a go and I thought oh I guess I have to write a book so that's literally how it happened it happened because I had time and, and thank you to, to Sportsnet for a platform right because what? now when I call guys up they, they may, may know who I am but at least the, you know this is Ken yeah. Reed I work at Sportsnet that process I also write has books. changed yeah I bet you it's yeah, changed that, and by the way by yes. the way
3: Mendes. He did the same thing yeah. for me. He phoned me out of the blue one day. Oh,
1: he's a, he's a wonderful guy, man. He's yeah, yeah. what's his dude. deal?
3: That's how I got... Like, I often say, like, Stephen Brunt steered me in a direction, and Ron McLean encouraged me, and, and you did. And, you know, a lot yeah. of people, there's a reason that the book be- became my book. But Mendez was really the guy that phoned me, I swear to you, out of nowhere one day. And he said, yeah. you know, I got a few questions for you. He goes, I'm not necessarily going to use them now, but... And he did. He, he used them for quotes in the future. It's something he did, but... But he said, you know, like you sure. got an interesting story, and then I sent him a chapter. I said, well, you know, I did write a book, and it's never going to go anywhere. I had most of that written, Ken, years before. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah. Yeah, but he did. He went out of nowhere, and I don't even know him. So what?
1: I guess no. He's, that's the end. That's Ian. He's just he's just a super kind guy. He was instrumental in helping me as well, and he's just he's just always been a classy, nice guy. I got to know him really well when we we did the Olympics for a couple name, well, name drop. We did the Olympics a couple of years ago in London, and yeah. he's just a. Great storyteller, super kind guy, great family guy. And, and I think in, in the book world, too, you, when you go through the experience of it, because it's something that is a mystery, right? Like, how, how do I get a new fridge? Well, you go to a store and you buy a fridge. How do I write a book? Well, that's a whole different kettle of fish. So, yeah, I always try to pay it forward with that, too. And I know you're pretty generous that way, too, TR, with Just wow. kind of people ask, you know. People ask, I, I try to help.
3: That's a, a great analogy, too. Um, so tell us now about the latest book. About the Eddie Shack. Yeah. I mean, Eddie Shack. I'm sure most of you hockey fans must know who he is. Although we're we're, we're going so far now into a new uh-huh. era, and you and I are I guess are. Are, are getting up there, you know, because for me he was before me. But everybody knew Eddie Shack. I knew the saying, "Clear yeah. the track, here comes Shack." I knew he was animated TV personality. Um, you know, he was almost like to me Eddie Shack was like Paul Bunyan or Davy Crockett. Like there, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, He's he was bigger
3: than yeah, he was a character that what? existed he transcended hockey, he transcended he, thank sports. You.
1: Thank you. He transcends the game. So even if you're not a diehard hockey fan, if you're from a certain area, you know Eddie Shack. So it was the great book. there was a great book written in about ninety eight Clear of the Track, it was about Eddie. So then Brian Aaronworth from Frameworth and Frameworth Publishing he put this together told Eddie, You gotta write a book. So this one is from Eddie's perspective totally. I mean, Eddie's telling his stories firsthand and it's kinda I want the Talking to Eddie's hilarious. You've spoken to him. It's very casual. Yeah. So it's written in Eddie's voice. You know, we got contributions from Wayne Gratzky, name drop. Bobby Hall, name drop. Phil Esposito, name drop. My name drop counts at five wow. now. So those guys helped out with the book. But Eddie's from a different era. Uh, for Canadians fans, Eddie was a guy who was into it historically with John Ferguson. They did not like each other. But as so many cases, Terry, you know this. When you hate a guy on the ice as a player once you retire and you have a beer with him, you realize, wow, I hated this guy because we're so bloody much alike. We just had the same styles. So, yeah, yeah, but We're on different teams and we're, our heads are going to collide. So, there's some epic tales in the book about him and John Ferguson. And there's also some great tales in the book about Eddie and the Montreal Old Pros because when Eddie hit the old-timer circuit, he toured with the Montreal Old Pros. You know, Henri Richard, the Rocket. And uh, that's where I first saw Eddie shot. It was in 1985 when he came to my hometown to play my old-timers game. So, you know, like, I mean, if you that's sat across from Eddie it, and it's,
3: yeah. You're
1: not kidding yeah, I'm not, I'm not kidding Star you. No, that,
3: that's the same thing. They came over here with red jerseys, like Habs kind of looking jerseys yep. that were the old timers. Yep. And they used yep. to do, I wasn't kidding when, it, when I talked to Eddie, he used to do these gags. So, like, he'd be going around to D, but he'd take out this stick that was, like, yeah, giant it, stick. It, yeah, it was, it, it was just, like, it looked like a stick, but I guess it was. It was put together. There must have been three of them in a row, and he like he'd flick it out, and it'd go boom, 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 and it'd turn. It'd be like fifteen feet long, and, yeah. everybody, and everybody would laugh, So he'd, he'd go around the D, just like because his oh. stick was yeah, his stick was as long as he, half the ice.
1: He, he's he's a riot. He's unfiltered. He doesn't hold back. He's a throwback oh, yeah. in every sense of the way. He wasn't like putting a, on a
3: show for just for for look, you know listen, for just, other people's sake. He was really enjoying it. Go on.
1: The the book is going to make you laugh. And you're going to laugh out loud. But you're also going to go, wow, here's a guy who couldn't read and write. And who just thought, well, I'm not going to let that limit me. I'm going to let it help me. So he did. He yeah. worked hard. He thought, well, instead of other people making fun of me, why don't I make fun of myself? And he, over the years, he became this bigger and bigger character as time went on. And another musical reference, "Audio Slave." to be yourself is all that you can do. Beautiful. So Eddie figured out. I'll just be myself and it worked. And does he offend some people? Absolutely. Does he talk about in the book how his mouth gets him in trouble? Absolutely. But it's the only way he knows. You'd rather so that, he goes yeah. about his he goes about his business. Uh, he's a fantastic guy. I've gotten to know him really well and we're actually doing a couple book signings today. I'm on the way to one right now, but this is another guy, Terry, who just makes people smile. Like we must have signed about 150 books yesterday and everyone left with a smile. Love it. I mean, you go to some, you go to some autograph signings, and it's just here. Here's the autograph. People come up with Eddie. Wow, well, Eddie, what was it like to win four cups of the Leafs in the '60s? That was fantastic. You want to try on the ring? He takes his '67 cup ring right off his hand. Lets people put that on. I mean, is that not a thrill? Hey, for any old school hot. I fan? mean, well, Ken, look. So that's
3: that's when Eddie. I, when I talk to my dad right now, so my dad, most again, people know, but I'll say this for those that don't. So dad Legend. played pro hockey. Well, yeah, man, he's he is. He really is in, in more ways than one. And dad played one of the first Newfoundlanders to play pro. Um, but he uh, played in the WHA and, you know, grew up. And he went to the Hamilton in the OHA for three years, 04. And, um, you know, like he grew up. It's the first time that I saw this or, or I saw this perspective that I'm about to say on Eddie Shack because I knew him just like you just said. He's an animator. He's, he's so happy. He's a laugh. He pokes fun at himself. But dad's like... Before all that, he goes, like, I thought Eddie Shack was unbelievable. He said, like, he's and yeah. after we did the interview, Dad's like, Do you know how humble he's being, guys? He's like, yeah. he was he he turned out to be a way underrated NHLer because he scored over 20 goals a few times. But yeah. but like dad tells me he's like, no, he was the man. He's like he was great. Yeah. Before all that, like he was yeah. they looked up to him and and you know, as if like my dad looked, he said there was a few players that I really looked up to before me. And, he, and and during me mm-hmm. he, he ended that sentence with Jill Perrault, but he put him up there like with, with yeah. The, the, yeah
1: he was he was Eddie was a junior scoring phenom people phenom. don't realize this
3: no a lot of people so don't
1: then, and he didn't like a lot of his coaches he clearly didn't like his first coach Phil watson at the rangers and he, you know he said they wanted me to play defense and Eddie was right they did they tried to change him and so Eddie got pigeonholed he doesn't dwell on it and he doesn't brag about how good of a player he could be but I mean, Bobby Hall's in the book, and he says, and if Eddie played with me in Chicago, he would have got 50 goals. And he's not kidding. Yeah. They played together on this barnstorming tour in Europe, and they, they tore it up. But, like, Eddie beat Frank Mihaljevic by about 18 points uh, in his final year junior in scoring. And he was fast, man. You look at the old video, because we went through a lot of video doing this book. Eddie could frickin' fly. Yeah. Like a beautiful, beautiful skater. But uh, he, he kind of got pigeonholed into this role, and Again, the brilliance of it all. oh, if I'm not going to lead the league in scoring, I might as well lead the league in laughs, and, and you and you you find another way to get a little more money, right, or a few more bucks.
3: Yeah, and then a and few to, more years. To become this,
1: right to become his personality. I, I mean, I would argue. Like Eddie, Eddie Shack made more money selling Pop Shop than he did yeah. as a hockey player.
3: Was that the and clear of the track ad? Season? What was the clear of the track ad? He did it because he oh. was a spokesman for a few companies, right?
1: Pop, pop shop was in you know I got a nose for value I, had a, I' look after the nickels and dimes and the quarters will look after themselves there's ha- rough and ready garbage bags there was there was Journey's end motel remember he pops up out of the suitcase on the bed and there's like a- absolutely have <laughs> to
3: pop up out of the suitcase
1: yeah 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 he's he's an yeah. absolute beauty man I was convinced he was in the king of Kensington too but I don't know if he was or not but he was everywhere <laughs> One of the funniest interviews we came across was him and Peter Zosky and Ann Murray. Like, like, just what a random collection. Yeah. It was just awesome. So, yeah, it was the, the going through the footage. And he's a guy, I, would, if you're a young fan and you're listening, think of Paul Bissonette or yourself, Terry, but with just way more goal-scoring prowess. No disrespect. No, not Biss. at all. No,
3: I, 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 yeah. That's a compliment. You just, in yeah. any way, compare us, that's a compliment. You know I don't yeah. feel disrespected yeah, there.
1: P.K. Subin P.K. right? He's an entertainer. That's yeah. what Eddie was. All yeah. entertain.
3: Exactly, yeah. and I, you know, I'm glad Ken, I never thought I'd get a chance to talk to him. And, you know, for, yeah. for those of you that don't know, I'm referencing a few weeks ago, I believe now, we had him on, we had Eddie and Ken on Third Man In. Again, check it out if you'd like, because uh, it's a great interview, and, Honestly, like, I knew a lot about Eddie Shaq. I didn't think I'd get to talk to him, and it's one of the guys that I always wanted to. Almost, yeah. almost, I don't want this to sound like blasphemy, but almost ahead a of Gordie Howe and, and Bobby Hall and those guys, I did get to talk wow. to both Gordie Show. It's just because the personality. I always identified yeah. with that. Yeah. I can't, being an only child, when I left Newfoundland and to go to, to BC, um, I think people are like, you know, because I ended up, when I look back, I'm like, someone asked me the other day, you know, you seem to deal with a lot of stuff through comedy. I'm like, you know what I do? I, I never really thought about that before, but at first that, that was a defense mechanism when I, when I went away because I was from Newfoundland, no one could really understand what I was saying. I had acne all over my face. I was a virgin. I was playing junior yeah. hockey. They'd all been drinking. I mean, I had a few beers here, like to be a tough wow, that, guy. That,
1: that sounds like, uh, that, that sounds like me when I left PICTO, except for the junior hockey and I was 28.
3: <laughs> oh, well, same shit, same shit. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I just, to me, to me, i would use it a uh, comedy there was always i mean i've i've laughed at funerals i've just so and in hey, yeah. in the room like i always i did not like going into pressure situations so i'd make it no pre- like I mean, I'm talking like going into, I don't know, play a game seven or even just going to play a game in Prince Albert at the time or Swift Current that sure, was hard there. Sure. To do. I mean, you got to yeah.
1: keep the boys loose. You so know, you or, know, or, or or keep the boys loose. Keep yourself loose. loose. Totally. Or keep so, yourself you know, loose. The whole yeah.
3: time I'm doing that, I'm reminding them and myself that it's only a game. I, I think when I get down to the bottom of yeah, it, you know, if I, I, I agree. Think about, you know, um, and Wayne Hollywell brought that out. He he used to be a therapist with the Canadians, a sports therapist, and um, I'd see yeah. him once in a while because, you know, everybody goes through ups and downs and that uh, those ups and downs at the time were extreme right so um but i remember him saying that he's like you know that just keep going with that he's like every time you come in yeah. to see me it seems like you're bothered and then you always get over it by doing something fun or funny and it's usually with the boys and i was like yeah you're right and he pointed it out and even in the western league right again i was a little bit of an outsider so mm-hmm. i would I just always if i get every and that's a big not that I'm the one being interviewed here, but that was a big reason that I fought, like, a, a lot, because, you know, you want to get the boys' respect and show them, like, this is, here, yeah. okay, What what's the worst that's going to happen here? Okay, that's Frank Lois. I know he's tough, but he just ran the goalie, boys. Like, someone got to do it. Okay, how many, boys, how many shots do you think I'm going to take in the head? 20? Okay, let's see. Like, there was always some level of humor to it. And Eddie Shaq, Sure. if there's one player ever mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that, you know, that kind of, culture and attitude resonates with or, or, or it resonates with me but um you know he was the guy that i look and and you know again my dad played pro so all his buddies would often talk about eddie shack so i was getting eddie shack sure. advice when i was like three or four so i wasn't wow. kidding you wow. um it was a real real honor to talk to him so then what are you guys up That's to awesome. today and by the way tell everybody what the name of the book is
1: okay it's eddie shack hockey's most entertaining stories and right now i'm on my way into the international center we're doing a book signing and then we're doing a book signing at an Indigo at around 4 o'clock today. And, man, Eddie, Eddie makes people smile for a living. We talked about that earlier. And you can get the book on Amazon. You can get it through framework.com. The uh, best way to – and it also be in some Indigos. Now, the Indigos, I think, are mainly going to be in the uh, Toronto area. But if you're anywhere else, try Amazon.ca, framework.com. And if you're in the Halifax area, on November 21, 22nd, or 23rd, Eddie's going to be at a bunch of Bubba Ray sports bars in the Nova Scotia Sports Hall of Fame signing books. And like, it's not just you get in the book, but you're also getting an experience with, with a legend who's 82 years old and who's just an absolute beauty.
3: Sharp as a tack, too, by the way. Um, so listen, oh. uh, and Kenny, so we got about, uh, I'm going to keep these a little bit shorter than my other show third man yep. in so we got about uh, six or seven minutes left if, if you're cool with that i mean if you got to go sure. you go yeah um and i just wanted some quick questions that i'm curious about as a friend um, sure go ahead mike uh,
0: i was just gonna let you know I, I took a look and confirmed eddie shack was in fact on the third episode of king of kensington uh, K- uh kensington achievement award uh where they are trying to present him with the award but he's late showing up Beautiful. <laughs> so, and and he is there I will as a, say this, he is well, listening as a guest star punctual.
1: there. Yeah, he's very punctual, Mike. He's never late for these books. See, Mike, this Well, is is it fun. says here,
0: "Episode summary: Larry and the boys at his club want to present Toronto Maple Leaf star Eddie Shack with the Kensington Achievement Award, but Larry is at a crossroad when the big man is fashionably late."
1: <laughs> wow. And Mike, can you get uh the Eddie Shack song and we can play us out with that in like 5 minutes? Yeah, I can
0: I can do that because I've already Mike, found I'm, it.
3: I'm loving this. You're doing a your job. Buddy right i I couldn't do it without him
1: that song was number one on the chump charts in toronto and i have we had the list in the book you look down at some of the names of the other bands and you're going what the beach boys were number six when eddie shaft was number one
3: that's absolutely incredible blows my mind that's one of the biggest hockey accomplishments ever
1: (laughs) it is can you imagine right now bumping the the beach boys off
3: the charts no i can't go ahead
1: right right now the max domi song Number one in Montreal. Could you imagine that? No, The Carey can't. Price song, number one in Montreal. I can't, and
3: I've heard them. I mean, even the like Dave, the, our buddy Bedini with the Rio Statics got the ballad of Wendell Clark, and there's been more, that's right. but it's just never, never one that like bumps off, bumps up, goes up yeah. the charts. I don't think the ballad of Wendell Clark was a hit. <laughs> Great song. Um, yeah. That's unbelievable. So, Mike, get that queued up to outro before we go. Already there. Before, <laughs> nice. I love it. Uh, before we go, Ken, your favorite jersey, any sport ever?
1: wow yeah okay the it's first good. thing that comes to mind is my my expos my montreal expos that's the first thing the blues okay, the, what, the light blues
3: okay wait so the light blue expos so there's a follow-up question that wasn't planned what like what do you feel the national success as an expos fan did you, uh, did you feel like upset or what, is it even uh, a connection uh, anymore
1: when uh the center fielder when the center fielder clinched the ball to go to the world series i think it was taylor who caught it yeah i, I I had a pit in my stomach. It was just, oh, this should be our trip to the World so Series. So you were a
3: real, real fan then. That's that's a serious yeah. fan question. If you still yeah. 20 years later, or not quite, but almost, and are thinking yeah. that. And, and by the way, there's a great story there with the year. Remember the year, am I wrong, the year that there was either a lockout or a player?
1: Oh, God, you had to bring up 1994. It is, right? and I'm right,
3: aren't I? Because I am I was never a was huge Expos fan. I was their year. It was yeah. more about... The, uh, I just loved the fact that Montreal had a team and I went to some games, but I cheered for the Yankees because yeah. Dad did. I at least watched the yeah. Yankees the most because they were on a... Sure. Um, and, you no, know, the no, Jays came in. 94. But you must be They were yeah. the best
1: team in baseball. They were the best team in baseball yeah. in 94. And so then here's, baseball here's, here's, out. 74 yeah, here's, and 40. Here's, here's how hardcore I was of an Expos fan. So uh, the Expos would be on CBC French, Radio Canada a lot, and then they'd have a game on CBC, and if they weren't on the English, I'd watch the French feed. And, uh, but then the Blue Jays start getting popular. Now we're talking like 84, 85. The Blue Jays are on their way to winning their first AL East championship. And the OK Blue Jays song is oh, kind of making its way around. It's taking that. off. So Mrs. Burns in music class makes us sing OK Blue Jays. In music class, wow. I refuse to sing it.
3: I no. refuse to sing it. I still and play that before my... senior hockey games.
1: You, there you go. You just didn't call. My... Oh, you're too fast. She, my... she called my parents. And I'm, I'm, I said, I'm not singing it. I'm not a Blue Jays fan. I'm an Expos fan. So there you go, baby. V wow. blaze Expo.
3: That's serious yeah. fandom. Uh, favorite band, favorite song?
1: See, that's, uh, that could change at any second yeah, of the day. Yeah, I know.
3: That's forever changing. Um, okay, let's say one of your favorite bands, and it doesn't have to be the same band, one of your favorite
1: songs. <clears throat> Man, I could uh, I could listen to Albert Collins play the blues all day. I could listen to yeah. Old Dutch Mason play the blues yeah, all day. You are. You're, a, you're How, all rounded, yeah. However, I will say this. The most underrated band in the history of Canadian rock features the most underrated songwriter in the history of Canadian rock. That's Miles Goodwin from April Wine. Oh, yeah,
2: if, baby. If,
1: if you are driving down the road and there's an awesome song on the radio and you do not know who plays it, it is April Wine. And Sloan, Sloan is the modern-day April Wine because they write catchy rock riffs. Oh, yeah. And never went went over huge. April Wine, catchy rock riffs. Never went over quite as huge as they should have. I put Sloan in the same category. You know what? Sloan, Sloan sells out tons of places, sort of the vino, but never that transcendent fame, you know? You
3: know what I love about what you just said? I What, what I love about both of those bands, I, I agree with you on most of what you just said, too. Um, yeah. What I love about it is that, let's just take, like, I've often said, I'm like, if you listen to them and you don't know what era they came from, I'm like, now, yes. for example, here's here's um, everything, what, 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 everything Everything you've done wrong. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so everything, you everything you've done wrong, baby. Right?
3: If you listen to that, or same thing for, this is just one example for both bands. Or from April Wine, if you listen, You Won't Dance With Me. It's, yeah. it sounds, yeah. Both of those songs could have come out in 1962. They really can't right? That's so like
1: the first time yeah. I heard the Sheepdogs. I'm like, how come I've never heard of this '70s band? I, don't I know. A
3: band Same thing. Yeah. They're virtually every song. Uh, Do I ever love the Sheepdogs? Man,
1: yeah, they're great. Um, they're
3: they're great. great. But those, yeah, the other, t- and I've often said, I'm like, you know, they're, they're those are great bands, but they're th- and people would almost say Sloan because of the era. They're like, well, they're an alternative. Band. I guess, but there's a real pop like they're, they're they're really good i got a,
1: I got a Beatles poppy twist they do listen to coax me tell me coax me isn't doesn't sound like the beatles totally Plus they're altering they're altering all the guys you know they're taking lyrics from everybody it's awesome
3: i know i really think so too and it, it, that's great to bring up because i like to bring up music a little bit on the show and um shout out and they're canadian bands they're underrated and a lot of people that are going to listen to this aren't from canada check out a one more Wine one, and, then one, check out and, and,
1: and one more band to check out one of my favorites of all time, from Pictou County, Nova Scotia, Sandbox. Love oh my Sandbox. God,
3: Carrie, Carrie with bubbles. Carrie's one yep. of my favorite songs of the '90s. You know which one I'm yep. talking about. I got the I got one album, and it's called. Oh God.
1: Murder in the Glee Club. That's it.
3: Murder in the Glee okay. Club. Okay.
1: Make Make sure you check out their first album, Bionic. And here, how's this for a small town Canadian moment? They played my high school prom, so I can tell people Bubbles played my high school prom.
3: Unbelievable. And even as we're saying this, a lot of people don't realize Bubbles is a musician. Watch the video. Watch Carrie video. Yeah. Um, I yep, remember you'll that. Yeah, I know they got more more than that, but that's just that was one of my favorite songs of the era.
1: Now, you you will love, and uh, it's going deep here, but Question of My Faith, listen to that, Terry. You'll like it.
3: Okay, thank you very much. And uh, I guess with that, Kenny, you have a good day promoting your book um, with with Eddie Shack and the like. And uh, I'm actually yes. going to be up there next week. I'll be in Alora and Bracebridge with Tyler okay. Morrison. We're going to do a couple of comedy shows. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm going to stay a couple extra days. Are you in town? I am. And I want it, this time I want to come right, over your way and, and uh, I want we, to come meet in. Meet
1: the and wife and kids.
3: It's really time that we do that.
1: Yes, exactly. I've been in your father's basement, so it's time for you to come to mine.
3: You're right. Uh, and I, I appreciate yes. the, the call today. And, you know, this is, I guess this is the third time we've hooked up on air as far as my shows mm-hmm. go, and um, I appreciate it, and we'll talk again soon. We'll have you on again after Christmas.
1: Buddy, Pucks and Deep, and I just want to say, good luck with the podcast, and if it was 1984 and, and my hockey team was coming out on the ice, I'd want Major Tom played first. Great warm-up to him.
3: Beautiful and great way to end things. Okay, Killer, catch you on the rebound. See
1: you, bud. Later.
2: Him a whack, he the scar goals. He's found a knack, Eddie, Eddie, Shack. They call him the great entertainer. But ah, oh boy, Eddie's no clown. It couldn't be made any plainer. It's great to have Eddie in town. So clear the track. Well, here comes Shaq. He knocks him down and he gives him a whack. against the scar goals. He's found a knack, Eddie, Eddie, Shack. He started the year in the minors And almost gave up the game Then boom, he's back with the big club And the Leafs haven't quite been the same Wow! Clear the track, well, here comes Shaq He knocks him down and he gives him a whack He him the score goals, he's found a knack. Eddie, Eddie Shaq It's great to see him on right wing Or is it the left wing he plays? both at the same time he skates all over the place so near the track well here comes shack he knocks him down and he gives him a whack he gives the scar goals he's found the knack eddie eddie shack some day in the dim distant future where they honor the greats of the game they'll hang on the skates and the sweater. Eddie, Eddie, Shack. Eddie, Eddie, Shack. Eddie, Eddie, Shack, Eddie, Shack.
3: Okay, there you have it. That's Ken Reed. Um and Ken's one of my best buddies. We God, you know, and just a great person. And like he said in the interview, uh, a happy person to be around. Um, I know, you know, we go back. Ken and I started, we did a show in 7 08 in Alberta. He was in Alberta um, working, I forget the name of the show, but it was in Edmonton, and he worked with Bob Stoffer on an AM radio show you could call in. So I was uh, playing for the Bentley Generals, and I was working. The, the team set me up with a job, like, driving. See anything that the rigs needed, or... It was a pipe-fitting company, so I would just like drive them back and forth from Red Deer to Grand Prairie or Peace River. That was usually the routes. Around there, you know, six, seven hours and back. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And uh, it was, eh, you could text. There wasn't as much social media or anything. Facebook was there. But, you know, it's not like people were on their phones all the time. Um, it was just kind of starting. But, you know, so I was often bored in the car uh for example like you know i'd listen to my iPod in, instead of having my phone out with the, the song lists or whatever it might be so i remember just taking a break from the ipod listening to the 8 am radio and ken uh, was there and i called in and anyway a, a listener had called in and they misquoted somebody and i anyway i called in and told the reed's real story and ken said who's this i'm talking to anyway I, I told him and he said he followed my career he listed off my stats to me he knew them better than i did and anyway, he called me after I, I I phoned in, and he said, you know, we should do our own thing, and it was called TR's Tales, I think, or Jesus, that's the title, title of
0: this. Trainwreck Tuesdays.
3: Trainwreck Tuesdays. There, yes. Mike, you're very valuable today. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's Only today.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, but you're gluing it. You're gluing it together. I knew I needed, you know, just me and a guest is one thing, but I need someone like you to uh, pipe in once in a while and either shut me up or fact check and you're doing both so I appreciate that but uh, yeah that's what it was called Trainwreck Tuesdays and we had a laugh and uh, with that went on for a year and after that just Ken became a good buddy and good supporter and when my book came out it wouldn't have sold half of what it did five time bestseller no big deal um Anyway, I, I joke because it would never have been if they didn't have me out. I, I mean, it. I, it's so hard. There's so many great authors. You need you need a little bit of a bump, and I. Sportsnet gave me that. Bob uh, McCowan, Ron McLean, Ken Reed, Stephen Brunt, all of them. So that's how we know each other originally and uh, just a great fella. Thanks again, Ken, and please uh, look out for his book, Eddie Shack's Unbelievable, The Entertainer. So many stories. And if you want to go further into that even, on Third Man In, we've got, what, Mike, 35 episodes done? Uh, yeah. Okay, 35. One is Ken Reed. And another one is Eddie Shack with Ken Reed, Um, and they're I think they're like one and thirty-four. They're pretty spaced out. Thirty-five. It was it was the last episode, literally the first and last. Okay, so
0: anyway, but not
3: last, just the last one. (laughs) Yeah, true. I say that now. Don't want people to like. I know. I hear you. You're right. So listen, there's only a few more things I want to get in because this is going to be a little bit shorter and more compact than the other one, at least hopefully. Sometimes our third man in goes like three hours. This is an hour and fifteen minutes. Okay, we're at an hour and fifteen. I can get what I got to say in another fifteen minutes and have it a tight package. Although I don't know, maybe the boys will want to edit all this out. But okay, first thing, this is where you can look up For football fights. Mike, can you look up who got in those? Who got suspended? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Garrett, I think. I, you know, I watch football. There's too many names to pay attention to. I know most of the quarterbacks, a lot of the running backs, whatever it might be. There's too many people to remember, and I'm not even huge into football. Of the four major sports, it's the least. The only reason I know anything about it is because you know you bet on it, and your buddies watch it. But honestly, I don't even really get it. It's it's, it's the, the play slowed down half the game. Certain players are 400 pounds. I, I I don't know. I just don't. I don't get off on it. I don't think I would have played it. I like things that are consist like, soccer. I like more than the average person. Basketball. I don't know. I just like to see activity and I, the odd playing football is great. I, I, you know what? I'm not putting it down. I'm just not into it. And they only play sixteen games a year. So stop telling me it's as tough as hockey, will you? For God's sakes, we're skating around with hitting and fighting, with with you know no face masks for the moment. You get a little visor around. You can have access to the other person's face. You don't need to rip their helmet off and hit them with it. I'm just saying, it's not as tough. It's not even close. Yeah, if you get hit, it might hurt, but it's not. We're going through 82 games in a pro hockey season, whether you're not counting exhibition or playoffs. The NHL playoffs has 28 possible games. That's almost double what an NH- NFL regular season is. We're skating around with weapons. Try going in front of the net with, I don't know, Shea Weber, Right? I mean, come on. And the hockey's at the most wuss or whatever you want to say. I shouldn't say that. It's at the softest point. Whatever. Maybe that's something for the future. I'm all good with it. Whatever. I'm, I'm proud of the air I played in. I don't want to be this guy that yells and screams at young people that, you know, this, this game sucks. I don't know. If most people like the new game, then I'm in the minority. I still think most of the players, and it's been voted on, you know, the players want fighting to be left in. And I really find it curious that all these people have all these opinions. If we say nothing else about fighting in hockey, the players, over 90%, want it in the game. So, I mean, you know, who's to decide? Anyway, football fights. So, who was it, Mike, that fought?
0: Uh, It was Miles Garrett, uh, who was suspended indefinitely. Well, the uh, whole year now I heard him play. It's it's at least the, it's at least the rest yeah. of the season. Um, he ripped off. Uh, it was the quarterback of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, and I just had but it his, wasn't uh, Roethlisberger. It was the other. No, it's yeah. it's. Um, oh my gosh! I just had it there. Um, so I take your sorry. Time. Uh, and it's uh, Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph, and he so, ripped the helmet. He ripped Rudolph's helmet off, and then hit him with so it. There's so many problems I got. So that <laughs> it was like the Mike Milbury yeah, of fun.
3: it. It was, but like, and there, there's where there's my problem. So you yeah. know, so that happened. Now I get it. There, there, there was another guy that jumped in. Uh, from there was a guy that jumped into the mix, defending his quarterback. Fair enough. Um, but he starts punching. He starts punching, and then he kicks. It looks so, like, ridiculously unprofessional. They're whacking each other with a helmet, first of all. Then the guy goes and starts opening... I mean, why even punch somebody when they got a football helmet on? You're going to break your hand. And then he starts trying to throw kicks. And this guy... That was the least of it. I'm just, I can't remember who it was, and I don't even know. I think he got a three-game suspension. I'm talking about the th- literal third man in as, as a punt. He was a third man in. And you, you might not even find that, Mike, because there were so many other things that No, went down. the
0: two other players have been suspended for the yeah. fight. Uh, Pittsburgh's uh, Marquise Pouncy and it. Cleveland's Larry Joby. Okay. So
3: it was Pouncy. So I, I destroyed both those knew, games. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, because... You know you're going to. I I I will never bring him up other than this incident. Again, I don't talk about much football on here, but anyway. So Pouncy jumps. I get what you're doing. You're picking up for your guy, but oh my god! I mean, come on and throwing like look at that. And then everybody jumps in. It's like when people say, well, there's fighting in baseball too. Not really. I know when people get pissed off, but like when someone charges the mound, like everybody gets in and there's cheap shots going everywhere. Now I'll point this out again for people that can't get this through their thick fucking skull. Yes. Hockey, it's completely different. It's a different animal. Agree or disagree with the whole presentation of the fight, but there's a respect. When people drop their gloves, they square off. Even the officials let it happen. Both benches know. We're, we're not all going to jump into this right now. We've evolved from that. That was the way it was at one point in the 70s. Even that's overrated. It happened with the Broad Street Bullies and everything. But, like, you know... It wasn't always a thing. One person gets in a fight and everybody fights. I mean, it was chaos back then. There was also no helmets and no one got many concussions. It was a slower game. You know, there's a good and bad in every era. I'm not condoning that. But I'm saying in hockey, right, it, it, there's a code to it and a real one. Like, and everybody in the building, from fans to the uh, off-ice officials to the officials to the coaches to the players, for the most part, 99% of the time, you square off. And you go, now if my player's getting shit kicked, he's getting shit kicked. If he's getting shit kicked fair, I'll let that happen. I'm sorry, but you got into this. You know, hey Milan, Milan Lucic fights Ryan Reeves? I don't know, I'm picking two guys that can fight. You know, both benches are going to look at it, they're going to respect. No one's going to jump in, they're going to see it happen. Because it's not this big alarming thing. But in football, look at that. These guys look like school children. They look like nine-year-olds. Now I know there's isolated incidents. Mike Melbury went into the stands. Right, and that's hockey. They'll go, oh, you know, they fight in the stands. No, they don't. That happened with Mike Milbury. Right, that happened with Ron Artest ten years ago in the NBA. I can pick every sport. I bet you it's happened in baseball somewhere. I just watched a highlight earlier of a minor leaguer about ten years ago in baseball. Ever see when he was thrown at and he just he just kicks the catcher over? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it's it's funny. It's it's a minor league baseball player, and he gets thrown at and he just looks at the catcher and he kicks him in the uh, chest pad. <laughs> the guy goes down. I mean, and I you know, the other thing. It's just spur-of-the-moment shit that makes us watch sports. It, that that was a dirty play, clearly, by the by the baseball player. But, you know, it's also spirit. It's going to happen in sports. Shit's going to happen. But in hockey, there's a respect behind the fights. And something else I just want to point out is that over the years, you know, we're all getting rid of these, these tough guys, and we talk about them like they're, you know, these big devils and demons. And I'm telling you, the tough guys were the first guys on every team I played on to pick up. For, are you watching the baseball play? I'm watching we'll you get to, the we'll, catcher yeah. and charge the mound. We'll get to that in a second. So, but the tough guys were always the the the, 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 the most giving with their time. Um, you know, I don't know. I'll just point out a couple of guys I played with. I don't know. Uh, Aaron Asham. Now he's a b- bit more than just a tough guy. But, uh, Dave Morissette, Um Let's say Bob Probert was a pro. You know about you know his drug uh, issues and those things, but you don't realize how nice of a guy he was and how many autographs he signed. Um, uh, Ty Domey was so great to me as a young player. And I've heard, you know, some people say that he was a jerk. I don't know. I didn't see it. I fought him. He gave me total respect. He, I think I posted something this year earlier and he's on my Instagram. He has no reason to be, I've never shook it. I have never met him really. I mean, years later he was in a barrows and he took care of the bill. Um, and that's another story you'll have to read in my book, but you know, he was usually the tough guys were pretty grounded and they kept a room together and people felt comfortable. Uh, knowing that they had your back. Uh, last night I was watching an ECHL game with the Newfoundland Growlers. I put it on my Instagram story. James Melindy. Well, this guy Mike Moffat he ran over a guy on, on the I, I think it was Ferguson Brady Ferguson. I'm not sure though. Um, on the Growlers, and you know Melindy got in there and it was a good fight. Now if Melindy doesn't do that, then it's just you know your human nature. If you can hit and you it's like a shark surrounding a, a little wounded duck, right? You're a predator. If I see that this team's best players are small and they don't have anybody to cut, and I'm not even a dirtbag, but I'm going to finish my hits because you're allowed to. And eventually, your, younger, your smaller guys are going to get worn down, and then all of a sudden, you know, guys are going to take liberties and you're going to see the odd goalie get hit. It's like when Lucic, we talked about it on third man in. But of course he got in there. The guy was, you keep letting that, I mean, he just about spared the goalie. I know I'm kind of exaggerating, but I don't know. If I did that, Oh, and, and, you know, the, I forget the guy. What was his name? Sherwood, I think it was. He was running around all game. And Lucic got in. That, that was a multitude of things that happened before that. Um, so <laughs> fighting, we're, we're skating around, man, and we're hitting. And there's, and there's no bound, Like There's a boundary in hockey. Not in basketball or football. You can just run out of bounds and jump down. Hockey, man, if I'm running out of room and I'm looking up, I'm like, Jesus, okay, I got nowhere to go. Um, in my day, I don't know, it was scary to see, like, Scott Stevens or Chris Pronger come in one way and look in the other way, and it was just boards. You know, you had no way out of it. So you have to be some level of tough. I mean, even guys like Danny Breer, when I played against, like, when you know, as a great scorer, mostly for Philly and Buffalo, um, you know, even he was tough in a sense, and, you know, he couldn't lick his lips, but just to, just to go out there and play in the National Hockey League at the time, even now. So people look at, it like, these hockey players are tough. They know what's going down. Believe it or not, their parents knew going in. You know, at, at ten or, or I guess five, six. You know, when you put your your kid in hockey, what's the goal? If it's a goal, it's for him to play pro or her. Then even even with women, there's no hitting. But geez, it's intense and it's violent. You got to stick. If I'm if I'm a girl playing, if I'm on Team Canada women, I'm playing the States, and it's one to one and I'm in the olympics you're telling me that they're just going to take it easy if i go in front of the net it's hard hockey and that's it and any time you have a game that's so fast right cuz you're skating not running it's way faster than any other sport now and you you put boards in there so now not all of a sudden is this fast but there's a real boundary that hurts now add to that people are going around with sticks right we got a weapon Right? So every time, hockey players, it's just second nature. You go in front of the net, you're going to start getting whacked. Anybody, if, if, when I come out of a hockey game, I say, oh, that wasn't very physical. I think for a normal person to play, they would think it's real physical. Jesus, I just got hit. Most people, if you don't go through that, you don't ever get hit. You don't ever take a punch in the face. I'm not saying it's a great thing, but there's, you know, if, if you're used to it, it's different. And these fans that watch, especially people piping in on Twitter about fighting or Don Cherry or whatever, you know, if you, if you don't go to games, Shut the fuck up, right? Now, if you do, and you want fighting gone, fair enough. I know the argument, and I get it. I know I, I know it looks barbaric, but really, a lot of it, I'm, I'm firsthand. I've got over 300 fights. You add them up on drop the gloves, I think I have 200 there or whatever, 200-odd. And then if you add senior hockey and camp, my God, every camp, guys would go out and get in three and four for a joke. I remember having 15 in some camps, if you count rookie camp, right? I fought John Erskine six times. Anybody at that Dallas camp I was at, Dale Sullivan, Steve Ganey, where are you? I'm trying to think. Um, You know, I remember fighting them six times in camp. I'm not saying these are great things. I'm just saying, you know, signing up for it, that you're going to get the odd physical altercation. Now, I had a lot of PCS, post-concussion syndrome. But people don't realize those were all from open ice hits. The first one was in junior. Kevin Pop hit me. I think it's the tag on YouTube. Terry Ryan gets hit. Damon Lankow responds. I think. Byron Brisky. Um, and you know, it, it was open ice hits like that. I mean, take a punch from anybody. You see, I used to call them face injuries. I, I'm not disrespecting Ty Domi's punch, but the, the, you're gonna you're gonna punch me. You're gonna punch me. It's only gonna be sore. But if I'm skating through the middle of the ice with my head down, I don't even care who it is. Let alone if it's Scott Stevens, but. If it's just any player, just the G-force alone, it it brings your teeth together. I've been to the Mayo Clinic in the States. They told me all about it. You know, your teeth, and it rattles off your brain. It sends reverberation through your brain, And, and those are brain injuries. Way, way, way more brain injuries, this is fact are caused in hockey from collisions, and most of those collisions are open ice. I don't care about getting hit on the boards. Yeah, break my shoulder if you want. Shoulder. But my head and... You know, those, those open ice collisions, they'll happen more and more the less and less fighting there is. So it's a real catch-22. I don't think the NHL is in an easy position. I understand people's uh, wanting to have it gone, especially anybody that's new to the game of hockey. They must think it looks barbaric. But it is part of the tradition of hockey, like it or not. And unless you take out hitting or you make the ice a lot bigger, and I'm not, I know things got to change. I'm not necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily love seeing that happen, but I guarantee you would take some of the big guys that are only tough guys out, right? Because there's just more space. It's physics. Uh, Nothing against some of those guys. I won't bring them up specifically, but lots of guys in my era that were, like, known as tough guys, if the ice was bigger, like Europe, they couldn't be chasing me all around or or whoever. They could kind of get by on an NHL ice surface because it's small and point A to point B, whack a guy, whatever. But, you know, you're going to go around hitting people on an Olympic ice. It's going to be really hard to get back into the play. So there's less. And there'll be less fighting as a result, right? If there's less collisions and less contact. But whatever, that's an argument for another time. I'm just saying, as far as fighting, the hockey, there's a known respect. So stop saying it's the same as football and everything when someone gets, does something stupid. Like whack a guy in the fucking helmet. Um, or whack a guy with his helmet. I mean, that was barbaric. That looks really bad. That looks really bad. Um, but, again... I'm going to move on. I understand the argument against fighting, but please, please, if, if you're listening to this, well, probably because the people, most people that are totally against it won't listen to this anyway because they're not real hockey fans. But I understand, okay, I'm here. I get the argument against it. I wish that people could just play without having to get punched in the face. But if you whack a guy or you do something to my player, there's going to be a consequence, and that's hockey. So get over it. It Happens less, but it happens. Now, almost done. I'm going to move on to the uh, World Series. So a unique thing happened this year in the World Series. Mike, what was that unique thing, do you think?
0: Um, The team that won has been accused of cheating? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Not what I was going to say, but explain why. Oh, just because they've been they've been caught electronically stealing signs.
2: Okay,
3: so, and that I guess that's unique in a way. I, I think a few teams. Have I been think it's the first time
0: it's happened. That, is it? Well, that the reigning World Series champ has been accused of stealing signs using electronic Honestly, means within weeks of winning the World I Series. I don't,
3: but I remember watching a documentary years ago. I think that happened in like like the twenties.
0: No, but I'm saying like electronically, like they were using cameras and stuff to do it. Oh, and this okay. is the first time that it's just it hasn't been just some guy well, in you, the back. You yeah. know
3: what's funny is that no, I I heard about it happening in the twenties in this, uh, God, what was it? Bill Burr refers to it. He's a great a great podcast too, uh, the Monday morning podcast with Bill Burr. Uh, I don't know midsummer he referred to it, and I can't remember what he was talking about. It could have been any era, but it was old school. It was way way back, because you know people always try to get a leg up. And then there was the Bill Belichick a few years ago, right with the with the um, everything. With, yes. with everything yeah with everything yeah i really you know what if you can do it you can do it you can come up with better signs whatever i'm not to uh I'm, I'm not really that's going to happen i it, it's like the argument against paying paying players in senior hockey how are you going to control that how are you going to make sure that no one gets anything right and, and, and same thing in the world series with stealing sign. How, how really can you can you prevent that the only way you can if, if i was the opposing team i'd just say i got to come up with better signs um but anyway, the, the 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 rare thing I was going to talk about: the road team won every game.
0: Oh yeah, that that, so, which is super interesting too.
3: Super interesting. Now I'm going to tell you a situation that I know of in hockey that that happened. Do you know when that happened in, in ice hockey?
0: Not offhand.
3: Now it might have happened another time. If it did in pro sports, though, I think we would know it because they would have mentioned it. Um, I, I mean, the top pro sports. But in professional sports, the first year the St. John's Maple Leafs were in town in ninety one ninety two, I believe it was. Um, the St. John's Maple Leafs played the Adirondack Red Wings. I think it was my first year in I, I Actually, I'm right. It was my first year away, so I didn't get to see the Leafs play all year, but I came back for the finals. And they the Leafs won the first two in Adirondack. So you kind of thought that they might even win because it went... Did it go 2-3-2? Two, two? No, no, because the last games were in St. John's. I'm not sure how it went, but the road team definitely won every game. And I couldn't find that online. I remember it being a thing, though. I remember everybody talking about it. And I'll just name some guys. Um, and so th- these were some of my idols, to be honest. I was 14. It was my first year away. Joel Quenville played for that Leafs team. Uh, Kevin McClellan, killer. I remember watching him in the NHL for years before he came down here. Mike Eastwood uh, moved on after that. Yannick Perot, one of the best faceoff off guys ever and huge. I think he's pretty underrated, to be honest with you. Because I thought he was a magician. And uh, he never put up numbers in the NHL like Junior, but he was still pretty good, and he was great at face-offs. Todd Gillingham, uh, you know, a good Newfoundlander, has a rough time lately. Gilly, wherever you are, I'd love to hear from you. I shot him a few messages I haven't heard heard back. Uh, But Gilly, at heart, is a good guy. who has been going through a rough time. Gilly had 50 points that year and 306 penalty minutes as a second-year pro. And you look at that and go, God, how did he not get more of a chance? Gilly couldn't skate now. The length of himself, chewing his mouth guard. Every time he went on the ice, something would happen. Gloves going everywhere, sticks going everywhere. But he got the job done. I really think he should have gotten a chance. Uh, I know people are going to laugh that, that no Gilly, because he really, really did look like Bambi on skates. But look at his numbers. And one year in the IHL, Gilly had 26 goals and 400 penalty minutes. God, that's just just uh, astronomical. Both numbers on their own could get you to the show. Um, Felix Potvin was the goalie and Damien Rhodes. And then on the Wings, the Red Wings, they had Lonnie Loach, Gary Shuchuk. Keith Primo was in his first year. Uh, Mike Sillinger, Daniel Shank. Now, here's where it gets interesting. They had Kirk Gunnar Tomulinson, who ended up being my coach in Colorado Springs. Little guy, but whoo, could he fight? And look at his penalty minutes. Uh, He had up over 300 more than once. But they had a guy, Bill McDougal. And Bill McDougall. people ask me about the Newfoundland Senior League. Bill McDougal for the Adirondack Red Wings... The year before, he played in port basque Newfoundland Senior. I'm not kidding. And he signed an, an NHL contract. I don't know what he's doing in Adirondack. If he signed with Detroit, maybe he did because he was on that team. But the next season, he signed with Tampa. And whatever Tampa's team was in the minors, I can't remember, but he had 52 points in 16 playoff games. That was after playing in the Newfoundland Senior
0: League. Now that was, It was uh, Cape yeah. Breton Oilers, actually. It Cape wasn't Tampa. Brett. Okay, yeah, okay, Cape Breton. It Brett. was Edmonton.
3: Edmonton, okay, and he ended up playing in Tampa. Yeah, right. Good seat.
0: You're doing your great job there.
3: Um, but yeah, so I like, when people ask me, and even a few years ago when we won the Allen Cup with Grandfall, Grand Falls, Grand Falls won it, I wasn't on that team. I was on Clarendonville uh, a year before, and we lost in the final. Uh, anyway, point being, Newfoundland always has great senior hockey, and, and it often, now it's it's kind of,
0: uh,
3: it's still great. Whoever wins, is. I mean, it's a great senior league, but it goes in cycles, and uh, for a while there, Every team had five imports. The budgets were half a million dollars. Uh, we were, example, in Gander flying in Aaron Asham uh, the year after he played in the NHL final with the Rangers. He played here for a couple of years. Uh, oh, Darren Langdon played in the league. Geez, myself. Uh, Morgan Warren, I, I can keep going. A lot, Greg Stewart. We had, there's lots of NHLers that have come through, NHLers. and AHLers. Uh, and, for example, like I'm saying, so Bill McDougal, and oddly enough, so he didn't even win. Now I'm not saying he wasn't good. I'm saying... Newfoundland has all kinds of pro players playing here because in the small towns, they sell out, right? There's nothing to do. So most of the successful senior hockey in Newfoundland is actually not where the population is. It's not in St. John's. Well, I play for the St. John's Caps because I can't go out west anymore. I can't drive out there. I can't. But out west is where, you know, you get the fans and you get the, uh, the money and all that, whatever it is. It's like ran like a pro team. You know, because in here there's just a lot to do. Now in the finals, they'll come watch us. East versus West, whatever it might be. But the Newfoundland Senior League is like one slight step away from pro. And I mean, if you're going to count the Southern Professional League and shit, I would challenge... The, I'm, I'm not saying the East Coast League, but I'm saying like those real, real low, lower rungs, like the Southern pro that's still pro. Well, like Grand Falls, for example, wouldn't a couple of years ago, wouldn't even qualify to play in that league because they had 12 so-called veterans. A veteran, I think in pro is either like... I think it's like right around 200 games. And all that means is like... Not in this classic sense of the word veteran. It's like you can only have, I think, maybe 240. That's three full years. So, like, the the ice caps can only have, I think, three of those guys, right? So it's always changing in the minors. Uh, But not in seniors. So, like, the senior guys, I mean, they had Tyler Sloan and Aaron Asham alone, two NHL players. Then, you know, if you take guys like, oh, God, I don't know, uh, Keith Delaney and uh, Cam Fergus down the list, uh, Roddy Short, you know, all kinds of these guys that played on that team, Luke Gallant, had pro games and wouldn't even qualify to play in those leagues. And I know you think I'm nuts if you haven't seen it here, but to win the Allen Cup, you've got to be decent. And we all, every single year, not only the top team in Newfoundland, I also played in Bentley in Alberta for a year, and we won it, but like, we really only had one or two teams that gave us competition. In Newfoundland, every single team can win it. And then whoever goes often ends up winning, but they always challenge. We never get blown out at the Allen Cup. And our whole league could go. So I just want to give you – and, you know, we look forward to it. The boys come back. We get on the bus on the weekend. Where it's isolated and it's an island, um, you know, it gives you that pro feel, right? You get the road trips, right? You get a, you get hotels on the weekend. You get paid a few bucks. You get your sticks paid for. It's a laugh. It's a real fun thing. And then that's why we have imports, and they love coming over. Uh, and, you know, it's a successful thing. It's, it's always cyclical. Teams come and go. Grand Falls are so good, they pretty much folded every team <laughs> for a year or two, but they'll be back. Uh, I think, actually, they're going to be back this year. Um, but anyway, uh, it, but Bill McDougall played here, did not win the scoring. Again, within two years, he was in the AHL, 52 points in 16 playoff games, and I'll add to that, the next season, ninety-two, ninety-three. Mario Roberge, who played in Port au Basque with Bill McDougall in the Newfoundland Senior League won a Stanley Cup with the Montreal Canadiens. So back then and even now it's good, but it's mostly people on the way down like me. I've been on the way down for two decades. But you know, when I got when I get when I joined Newfoundland senior hockey, I knew that it, it was over. Right. You don't you're not really thinking of moving on from here, even though it's a good league. But back then, literally people went to pro from here. Uh, Hilton Ruggles was another guy. There was lots of them. It was just a stepping stone, and the NHL was a possibility. People looked at the Newfoundland Senior League no differently than the East Coast League, and if you count Bill McDougall and and Mario Roberge in that year as being two NHLers, let alone every other league people went to, you know, they might have been more, I mean, I can't even say the East Coast League provided two guys that within a year or two were leading the AHL in scoring and winning a Stanley Cup. So I just wanted to point that out. Newfoundland is great senior hockey, and that's one of the best stories I've ever heard, having Billy McDougall do that. He's on my Facebook now, Billy. I hope you listen to this. Really looked up to you as a kid. And uh, Robbie Forbes is another guy, Sidney Crosby's uncle. He came here and lit it up. Could have been anywhere. Look at his stats. He was unbelievable. And I'm fortunate enough to grow up watching that kind of senior hockey and definitely, definitely had an impact. It was why I was always at the rink. I kid you not i know it i don't even have to think if they didn't have that league there's no way i would be playing now or or i would have gone pro dad was coaching the mount pro blades the whole time and i'd idolize those guys and i went up to every game and when they were done i used to have my skates on and i used to wait there the whole practice and dad would say you know i'll try to get the boys off at say 7:40 instead of 750 when the zamboni comes on and i'd wait for an hour hour and a half and as soon as practice dad had ended early I'd run on, or I'd skate on, and I'd get my 10 minutes in, and I'd be so proud as a peacock, man, and then they'd do the ice. I'd wait all day just to get uh, 10 minutes on there. It meant so much. But I'm, you know what? Those 10 minutes added up, and by the time I'm 13 or 14, I'd been at it for four or five or six years, and now those 10 minutes are adding up, and they're becoming hours, and those hours are becoming days, and the days are becoming weeks, And all of a sudden, I got weeks of more training in than everybody else. And I know my way around the game like a pro. Because I'm in those rooms and I'm taping those sticks. I hear the lingo. I know exactly what's going on. That's why going to Quinnell wasn't such a leap for me. Because I knew the way of room. I mean, a lot of it I didn't even understand. And these guys are talking about women, you know, about boozing, about drugs, about fights. Just real life stuff. I just, you know, there was no earmuffs back then. No one really cared that I was in the room. And I'm glad because it toughened me up. Um, some of the stuff I heard, I didn't even understand, but I knew it was adult uh, rated and I appreciated that they said it in front of me, but it didn't make me a bad person or anything like you would think hearing those things. It made me look up to a bunch of men that still played the game that they loved. So anyway, that's that. Um, I have a few more things, but Mike, how, many, how much how time, you know, I, I think I'm going to cut it there. We're coming on an hour 40. Are we? Look, that's episode one. I really appreciate it. I got some, some new things. Uh, I got some other things to get to. I'll just do that next time. Uh, I plan on doing this uh, bi-weekly at the very least. And, uh, you know, third man in, we generally get to about, the plan is every week, but we do about three a month, to be honest, because things get in the way, timing. Uh, sometimes we do six in a month. But for now, Mike, you can talk about why we didn't have one last week.
0: Oh, um the re- yeah, it's we are currently in my dining room. You might have heard my dog bark. Normally we record in my basement, but I had a pipe break and the basement's kind of been gutted and uh yeah, just dealing with some of that stuff and so it's just been uh it's just been a pretty you know, it it's we're kinda of cramped here. There's stuff all over the room just trying to it's it's yeah, it's just not a good scene right now downstairs.
3: Well, <laughs> <laughs> it isn't, and it was. It, it made uh, we had to do one or the other, and uh, for this, and Chuck wasn't available today, and uh, Isha and Dylan are waiting for episode one of Tales with Tr. So here it is, boys. Uh, I hope you like it uh, for the fans, and I appreciate it, guys, for even thinking of me to do this. It's a great opportunity, um, and uh, thanks for having let me have Mike as the producer because Mike's a good friend of mine. He's good at what he does, uh, and I'm sure you extended some confidence there in, in us, and we appreciate it. Uh, to all the people that tuned in today, um, this is the way it's going to be. Uh, I uh, it, it might get slightly more polarizing at times. Ken's a pretty wide open guest, but uh, I know I've said some things. I think I've been kind of midline, but in today's climate, I know a lot of people are going to be pissed off. Uh, but that's the way it that goes. That's the way it goes. Long live grapes. Long live uh, Ron McLean. I forgive your grapes. I don't think I got anything to forgive Ron for, and I think everybody should sit, a, sit back and think of what these people have done good, as opposed to the bad, and, uh, you know, quit your, uh, maybe look in the mirror. Maybe look in the mirror, and if we're gonna judge them on quick little things that they've done, or they didn't do, uh, I think I think there's some humanity there that you might have missed. And, uh, you know, check yourself. Check your ego at the door, man. Look in the mirror. And if you live in a glass house in any way, be careful before you throw that next stone i'm terry ryan uh, this has been tales with tr thank you very much for tuning in we'll see you next time